For some of you who were here on Wednesday night, the introduction to this message will sound very familiar because what I shared on Wednesday night is now the beginning of this message this morning. But if you would go with me to Matthew chapter 3, we'll begin there. I will tell you it's an unusual day because I only have two pages of notes. And again, I say that for your encouragement, that you will get out in time to see the Super Bowl. What time does it start? Five? Oh, I don't know. It's going to be cutting it close, but we ought to, maybe if you drive real fast home, you'll get there to see the kickoff. Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. The first outcome of this announcement, John the Baptist made this announcement, remembering that there had been 400 years of silence. In the intertestamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there were 400 years of silence. So from those Old Testament prophets to the last of those Old Testament prophets, who's John the Baptist, was 400 years. And here he is, stepping onto the scene to make this announcement. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. I want to tell you, we read that and we have a small comprehension of what that means. But when we set it in context... To recognize on this earth, imagining for 400 years, there had been no voice proclaiming. There had been no voice teaching. There had been this tremendous absence. And here in this moment, here is this man who dresses funny, who lives a very strange life, stepped onto the scene and said, repent, change your mind from all that you were thinking. Change your mind because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The first announcement held within that is that there cannot be a kingdom unless the king is among his people. The very first announcement that he's making in this is now, once again, the king is among his people. I want to tell you that was no small announcement. You can't have a kingdom if you don't have a king. And John the Baptist was announcing what God is about to do. The king is once again among his people. I noticed in the study of this that in the early part of the Old Testament, on some occasions, God is called the God of heaven and earth. That is seen up kind of through Second Chronicles. But in several places after that, after there was no more Israel, after there was no more Judea, after both had fallen, he is called like in Nehemiah, he's only called the God of heaven because there were no people. Those people that, that were his kingdom had rebelled and weren't. And so now in this announcement, don't make this to be anything I mean, larger, but anything smaller than it is. This was a dynamic moment because God was announcing the king has come and he's among his people. And the second thing that came in that announcement was if there's going to be a kingdom, there's going to be restoration of kingdom life. There's going to be life on this earth in relationship to God because he has come and there will be kingdom life on this earth again. Let's read about it. Go with me to Matthew chapter 6. This is a, an equally dynamic announcement. The first made by John the Baptist, this one made by Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 6, 
beginning with verse 9. After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So when we read that verse 10, we get this message that Jesus is saying with all certainty and with all faith, he's saying that the characteristics of heaven, the very dynamic of God that is in heaven, the reality of God in the supernatural mysteries of heaven are suddenly going to come to the earth. You know what he said? On earth, you're going to be able to see the very dynamic of God just as those in heaven see him. You see, that hadn't been seen since Adam and Eve fell. In the garden, how could God walk among his people? How could he walk among Adam and Eve? It's because sin had not yet come. And the sin that separated, created this void between God and man, had not yet come. So when Adam and Eve did what they did, when they, when they ate of the fruit, now this separation was here. And God is saying once again, I am going to do something. I am going to do something that would bring that reality of heaven back to this earth. I want to tell you, this is no small statement because what we're supposed to be living right now is that heaven on this earth. That is our life designed for us right now, that heaven on earth. And God says, I want to tell you how I'm going to do it. By that proclamation, he's making a statement. I'm going to so establish the things on earth so that heaven can come. But some things have got to be done first. So he begins this, by this announcement, he begins to announce to us, I'm going to do something, set in motion the conditions on the earth so heaven can come. Step number one, if you take notes, this is what he had to do first. Jesus had to be born alive. First step, Jesus had to be born alive. Why? You see, every other person who has ever been born, Jesus is the only human being that was ever born that was born alive. The rest of us are born dead. From the day we're born, we're headed to this certain death. That's a guarantee because by the nature of what happened, the nature of death is passed to us by our fathers, not by our mothers. Death is passed to each one of us by our fathers. Every one of us is born dead. Jesus, having an earthly mother in the Holy Spirit as his father, was born alive. Why? Because death is the outcome of sin. If, if there was going to be a price paid for that death, it couldn't be death. You and I couldn't be offered for, the, for that sin. We couldn't be offered for our own sin because that would have been offering death for death. There had to be someone born alive. There had to be someone who could pay a price because if this gap between heaven and earth is going to be closed, that sin has got to be dealt with. That sin that's caused the separation has got to be removed from the story. And so the first step, Jesus was born alive. So now there was somebody on the earth. That's what John the Baptist was announcing. There's somebody on the earth. There's somebody who is now qualified to pay the price for my sin so that kingdom could come. The second thing, if you take notes, is that for three and a half years, Jesus walked as a witness to how that would occur. He showed us by his life what it looks like for the reality of heaven, the supernatural things that you can't explain by his humanity. 
The things that we saw Jesus do, they're only explained by the power of God and the reality of heaven. And Jesus walked for three and a half years to show us what that looked like. He says in John 5, 19, without the Father, I can do nothing. I can only do what I see my Father do. What I see in my mind's eye that the Father shows me, that's what I do. I can only speak what I hear my Father speak. So he's trying to tell us, the second piece of this, if, if heaven's going to come, we're going to have to understand that obedience is the critical piece by which it comes. Obedience becomes that critical quality by which heaven can now invade earth. Number three, Jesus died. That which was set in motion by his birth was that that life was given up to pay for my sin. His blood covers my sin. Sin has now been dealt with. So now the space between us is clean. Sin does not keep us separated from God anymore because that sin is completely 100% covered, paid for by the blood of Jesus. We're bought with that price. Number four, the resurrection. It was great that Jesus died. That's what dealt with my sin so that I'm fit someday to go back to heaven. But the, rea the, the fourth reality is that I wouldn't be much good still dead. So his resurrection, his death brought me redemption. His life, the resurrection brought me regeneration, brought me new life. To ask heaven to come invade something that's dead will not be very profitable. So the fourth thing we, hear is, we see is the resurrection. We're alive again. Look at the stage that has been set. My sin has been paid for that had created separation between me and God. Jesus has shown me what this looks like by three and a half years of walking on the face of the earth. He has now died and paid for my sin, be resurrected to give me new life, regeneration. So the stage is now set. I'm clean and I'm alive. And I want to tell you the sad commentary of the church is that that's where the message has stopped. I'm saved and I'm fit for heaven. I'm alive again. When it's my turn to go, I'm ready to go to heaven. And I want to tell you that was not, as I've said many times, that was not the good news. As great as it was that Jesus came to pay for my sin, he only did that so that the next thing could happen. Heaven still has to come from here to here. And how does it occur? Remember, there can't be a kingdom without a king, and Jesus has now returned to his father. How do we have a kingdom on this earth if there is no king? Watch step five. Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the king among his people. Heaven is now on earth. What would be great about heaven? I get to live in his presence. Guess what he did? He sent his presence to us so that we could live among him right now. A king among his people. And where did he choose to live? In us. I am a kingdom citizen because the king comes to live in me. I want to tell you, and I, this, that is what I shared primarily on Wednesday night. Jesus, born alive, teaching us, showing us, dead for the blood of Jesus to cover our sin, the resurrection to establish life, the giving of the Holy Spirit, which allows the characteristics and the qualities of heaven in the presence of the Holy Spirit to come. But it's that fifth step that I have to address this morning because it is the peace that's confusing us. 
The reason that we live under the frustration that we live is because we keep trying to bring heaven to earth by our own efforts, by what our hands can do, what our mouth can say, where my feet can go. And I want to tell you, I have no ability to produce the characteristics of heaven from within myself. I can only produce the characteristics of heaven, heaven on earth, when the Holy Spirit comes to take possession of that which Jesus paid for. When these hands become his hands, this mouth becomes his mouth. Because there's only one person who's ever been qualified to live the Christian life. And his name is Jesus. And he sent the Holy Spirit. He said it. And he's told us in this kingdom we will be able to do greater things than he did. Why? Because there's no characteristic that's different between the Holy Spirit that invaded him and the Holy Spirit that invades us. That's just an absolute truth. But we keep stumbling over step five. This is one of those mornings when I have to do more teaching than I do preaching, but uh, I hope you'll bear with me. We teach here, as y'all all know very well, the, the distinct difference between our body and our soul and our spirit. This is, this, this is just some of those basics. Our body includes all things that are physical. Our soul includes those things that are mental and emotional. And our spirit includes those things that are spiritual and supernatural. Again, that's just basic stuff. We have to know the difference between these three or, we, or, or this gospel will make no sense. Our body at the bottom makes us aware of ourself. The soul allows us to be aware of others. Our spirit is what allows us to be aware of God. So here's the question. How do we feed and nurture and maintain a healthy body, a healthy soul, and a healthy spirit? Because if in all things of heaven, when we're trying to close that gap, when the stage is set, our, our sin is, is dealt with, and we're clean and we're alive, and, and we're trying to understand how to close this gap. If we don't have a full awareness of the things of the Spirit, we will not understand how to receive what God wants, because it is a spiritual transaction. We know how to take care of our body. Proper diet. Yeah, the other one, uh, rest, and there's something else I'm missing, but I'm not going to mention it. To maintain our soul healthy requires healthy relationships, things that we learn and how we engage our mind, solving problems, and all those things allow us to have good relationships, to understand, to gain knowledge, and that feeds my soul. But I want to tell you, we have not a clue, person by person by person. I want to tell you, it would be interesting this morning if I ask everybody to take a test and answer that question mark at the top. How do we successfully feed, maintain, and nurture a healthy spirit? My suspicion is when we would get a list kind of like this, an active prayer life, Bible study, church attendance, church involvement, missions, giving, witnessing, singing, praising, praising him, doing all those things, that will maintain a healthy spirit. No. No, please, no. Do not let yourselves fall into that trap. There is not a single thing in that top part that will help you build a strong spirit. Now, that's quieting you down. Why did Jesus say, 
Whether you're circumcised or not circumcised means nothing. That was his word, nothing. Now I want to tell you, that was a statement as bold as what I just made. He was talking about that it was something so critical in their understanding. And he said, you're, you have made something this big. And he said, I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter. Nothing. Because that has nothing to do. That is not the key to understanding and unlocking what this relationship is supposed to be like. Each item listed at the top is an evidence that we have a healthy life in the spirit, but by no means is that the way that strong spiritual life. Every one of those things is the evidence that we have a strong relationship, not the way that we get them. And church by church and message by message, we teach, I know what to do to have a healthy body. I know what to do to have a healthy soul. And we want so badly to say, I know what to do to have a healthy spirit. And God says, you will never get it by what you do. Never. You want to know how to do it? Here it is. If you want to have a healthy spirit, there has to be a full acceptance and receiving of the Holy Spirit. Notice the key word in that. What is it? We have to receive. The, the strong spirit is when we recognize that the only way for my spirit to be strong is for me to surrender all things that I have and let him come and invade that space. A strong spirit is not me trying to be strong. It's a substitution. My life for his, him coming to live in my spirit creates a healthy spirit, not the things that I do. Receiving with his spirit the reality of sonship and knowing that we are the children of God and that he has adopted us. I can have a strong relationship with God because I understand that I am a child of God and all that that means. I'm not a servant. I wasn't saved to serve. I was saved to be a son. And I can live in the freedom of that sonship. That will establish a strong spirit, receiving the reality of our relationship with him as fathers and children. The third one, and accepting fully the provision of heaven and ministering out of that fullness. Remember, please remember, how did Jesus begin his public ministry? Matthew 3, Mark 2, Luke 3, every one of them tells the same story. Jesus came up out of the water because of the obedience that he had shown when John the Baptist said, I need to be baptized of you. And Jesus says, no, I have to do this so that all things will be fulfilled. And God the Father saw his obedience in that moment. So Jesus comes up out of the water. And what three things happened? Jesus was adopted by his Father and announced to the world, I am the Son of God. That's that second bullet. I am a son. I get to live like a son. What else happened? The Holy Spirit came on him, appearing like a dove. And John says, and it remained on him. Because for Jesus to minister that three and a half years and show us how this kingdom was going to come, he himself had to receive the Holy Spirit. And the third thing was, it says, and all of heaven was opened unto him. And now Jesus was ministering under the full storehouse of the provisions of heaven. That's what made him ready. That's what gave him the relationship. That's what set in motion so that heaven could be recognized by the hands and by the heart and by the mouth as he spoke. Heaven had come to earth because Jesus so demonstrated for us how to have a healthy spirit. Now I want to tell you, when that's done, 
All of those other things on that list will occur, but every one of them will be the result and the evidence of a relationship and not the means by which we try to have the relationship. I want to tell you, if we go at it by trying to figure out what to do to have a strong spirit or have a strong relationship, we will be extremely, extremely frustrated Christians. And most will walk away in that frustration very soon. You see, God had intended from the beginning that the way that, this, that the dynamic of this life would come is that we would learn how to receive. You want a strong kingdom relationship with God? We do that because we have learned how to receive. Once again, there is a king among his people. I want to show you this. This is John chapter 1, if you want to go there. I want you to see this, how, this, how God so designed this. This is John chapter 1, verse 12. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as, what? Received him. To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. I want to tell you this morning, healthy relationships with God in the having, maintaining a strong spirit where, this, where his spirit can bear witness with my spirit does not hinge on all the things that I say that I can do for him and create the performance that is that, that would receive a, a, an award, I want to tell you that will not do it because he says clearly, as many as received him, as many as have received Jesus to cleanse us. The, that was the king among the people. When Jesus left, he says, I'm sending someone. There has to be a king among the people. I'm sending someone. I'm leaving, but I'm sending someone. And he made that promise and he said it right here. As many as received him, now the Holy Spirit to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is the truth. The reason that we have lived in such strange relationship with God is because nobody ever told us the way to greatness was living before God. And I, I shared with you a couple of weeks ago. I had two bottles in here. One had a real small top and the other one had a real big top. God is absolutely this morning and every morning wanting to pour himself into us. We get to be the ones who have the choice. I had someone in my office this morning and I had a little murine bottle, the little the squeeze bottle that had the little bitty hole in the top and I had a a, a bottle that you can drink out of. And I said, you know, which one? Well, it's obvious. How hard it would it be to, to pour water into the, that little murine bottle because the hole is so tiny. Well, I want to tell you this morning, and you know this, God has a desire this morning to pour himself into us. When he looks down and, lo and sees us, does he see the murine bottle or does he see the bottle you can drink out of? Does he see somebody who's standing there with, with their arms wide open, their heart wide open, saying, God, fill me, pour it in as fast as you can? Or does he find someone who's, because of the hurt in their life, because of what they have been taught, lives so closed that, he, that though he tries to pour, it will not fill? No one controls that but us. Whether you live like this before him, refusing to receive, or whether you live like this before him, fully announcing to God, I'm ready to receive, the size of that opening 
is 100% dependent on us. I'm going to just ask Jay to come to the piano. We're just, we're going to sing. This is foundation laying day. This is pouring stuff you have to know. I knew when God began to, this was not a day to stir you emotionally. He didn't, that wasn't the plan. This was the day for our minds to engage and for our feet to suddenly stand on something as solid as it can possibly stand. We needed to know this truth. For any reason that you have up to this moment, you have not received, this is the moment. You don't have another round. We don't get another go at this. This is the one we have. And I would tell you, when, when you're ready to receive, lay down the burden, lay down the sadness, lay down the brokenness, lay down that hurt, lay down that junk that has been back there, and you're, re you're ready to surrender it all, step into this moment, and receive the fullness, receive the freedom, and do not let yourself go back and live in that brokenness again. If you're coming up here to get a Band-Aid put on a hurt, Stay where you are, but if you want to be free and to be a child of God this morning, set in motion the reality of the Spirit, this is the place to be. You can do it right now.